Hi, you're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm Rebecca Valentine, and I'm joined today by... Matt Handran. And Brendan Sinclair. There was, uh, I feel like there was a lot to talk about this week. Matt might disagree. Um, Some of it is like a varying levels of interest, but, um, you know, there was like, there were things about combating climate change to more subscription services to VR to Nintendo doing more Nintendo. Um, I think we're going to try to hit a couple of the highlights. Uh, Let's start with Oculus Connect. Uh, There were some interesting things out of there, uh, including Facebook Horizon, Rift Games becoming playable on the Quest. Uh, The one I'm most interested in is that the Quest, this like, what, around $400 portable headset doesn't need to be tethered to anything. Um, it's getting hand tracking. No controller is just hand tracking. It knows where your hands are and you could grab stuff in VR. Uh, this is really interesting to me because I went to the Valve Index. Uh, I went to a Valve Index event earlier this year. I've been hands-on with that. I have one of those. I thought that was revolutionary. Like I've played, I've played a couple of the games now that have uh, that kind of tech in them. And it is, it, it's like really just game changing to be able to reach out with your hands and grab things in VR. Um, but this thing, the quest, this is what $600 less not attached to your computer. And the, the fact that it has this tech just seems to kind of blow what the valve index is doing out of the water to me. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what developers do with this tech. Now that there's a headset that uses it, that more people can afford. How is this actually being added to the quest? Is I, is it just like a software update? I think it's just a software update. Yeah. It's free. Wow. Like, I, yeah. it's not, you don't have to buy anything extra. I think it's just something that's happening. The, the bit about blowing the, the index out of the water is interesting. I mean, like, Quest is, is underpowered, right? It's sort of that, that introductory level replacing the Gear VR, Oculus Go kind of level of headset, right? Yeah, and I, yeah. I think, I mean, yes, the quality on the index is quite... It's far and above what the Quest is. Like, it really is. I mean, I've, I've used it. It really is a really nice, high-quality headset. But my... And I, I have not personally used the Quest, so I could be talking out of my butt right now. But my understanding, just reading reviews and reading what people are saying on it, is the Quest is honestly good enough. Like, it doesn't need to be super high-quality. It's it's a cheaper headset. You don't need to have it tethered to a good gaming PC to have it work. You can use it anywhere. Like, I mean, I have the Index, and I have to actively, like, reorganize my living room every time I want to use it. Um and then it, it has these controllers and these base stations and all this extra hardware. And it just, I, I feel like the trade-off, like, yeah, you lose a little bit of quality, but the trade-off that you get for the Quest ends up being that that accessibility and that portability is just so much better. And now that it can also make use of, like games can also make use of this idea where you can just reach out and grab something in VR and then use it. Um, I, I just think that that's so, that's great like we're this is going to actually make the difference between you know a couple people who have funding making some interesting little experiments and people actually developing full games for this kind of tech it has definitely seemed to be the first thing since the original rift that's really gotten traction for oculus uh, at least in you know in my bubbles um the the what i've seen from from people talking about it um is is unusually positive for for a VR product post 2016 and and it's kind of you can see that that Oculus is is not maybe not betting the farm on it but certainly kind of pivoting into this um they've they've got Oculus Link coming out which is going to let you play Rift games on the Quest apparently it's just like a USB 3 um connection between your 
your computer, which is beefy enough to play the Rift games and the, the Oculus Quest. So you lose that untethered bit of it, but you also get, you know, a mostly uh, more comfortable and liberated experience there where you're not weighed down by everything. Uh, and they've, they've, you know, they've got the, the Facebook horizon social VR thing they're doing that they were very quick to point out. It's, it's Rift and Quest. Um, yeah, this is, this is the most optimism I've had around uh, Oculus and, and their entire product line since basically the Rift launched. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Quest, the Quest certainly seems to have found a middle ground I didn't actually even think was there originally. When I first used uh, uh, VR headsets, when they first came around, like when the Rift was out and the Vive was out, I mean, I, I liked them both, but actually the, the thing I thought they lacked was, was fidelity. Fidelity of, of vision, fidelity of, of tracking. I think the tracking part for me is, is more, more important with retrospect than the actual visual, visual side of it. But I didn't actually think that the Quest, you know, pitching below that kind, even, even below necessarily the level of the Rift or the Vive, would actually, would actually get anywhere. But it seems like the, the real key to unlocking VR was just pure convenience. And every single positive experience I've seen coming out of the Quest has all been about how simple it is just to open the box, put it on your head and sink into VR with no cables, no setup, none of that complicated stuff. And and yeah, like I say, when I first tried VR, I really thought what needed to improve was the, the quality of the screens and, and that side of it. But um, it turns out that actually it's pretty much the other way around. Now that there's hand tracking involved, I feel like Oculus has got a good opportunity to bit for, for the Quest to be the baseline device that everybody designs towards, right? So most games will be made with, could be potentially made with Quest in mind, and then you kind of scale them up for things like the Index or whatever the new HTC one's called. Is it like Galaxy or what's that one called? Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, new headset makes Anyway, that, that's playing to the higher end of the market as well. But but now I think, you know, it's always good for, for, any, for any software area of the market to have a baseline that people people develop towards and it feels like the quest might actually be it um does anyone i i don't have a quest rebecca you don't have a quest do you no Brendan, i don't Brendan, you don't have a quest i know that there's some there's quite a lot of software that isn't available for quest and the medal of honor game that from respawn which is also part of oculus connect i think i read today an interview with jason rubin somewhere probably the verge uh, thinking about it um where he was asked if that medal of honor game is going to be available for quest and he was a bit cagey on well is it going to be on the rift like if it's going to be on the rift then they could just connect it right the oculus link suggests that uh it's just sort of like full compatibility if you have the computer that can run um the the, the game which is I don't know if it's as big a, a, you know, barrier for people as it was a few years ago, but like, I don't, I haven't upgraded my computer in a few years and I don't think I can run it. Um, I, what I find really interesting about the Medal of Honor thing though, is that this does seem like kind of a frontline AAA offering on VR. And it's not just like Bethesda, you know, porting one of their existing hits. It's, it's a respawn game. Um, and it's, it's a full single player thing, a multiplayer offering as well. It, it's, they're sort of pitching it as like the normal AAA total package. And, and while that's 
something that a lot of people, including myself, have like sort of bemoaned about VR is like there just aren't really experiences like that. I'm I'm wondering if if this is what I, people actually want out of VR. It's like I, I remember when you know the iPhone was was kind of taking off and people were like, well, these these short mobile games are fine, but like you know, I'd like something meatier, you know, and then they tried bringing like civilization revolution. There was a surprisingly decent street fighter four, uh, released for, for iPhone, things like that. And they never really caught on, I think, cause, um, cause that's not what people actually wanted. Yeah. I also think is this, because I feel like EA was one of the publishers that was a little bit cagey about getting into VR and stayed that way for a long time. I know Ubisoft was in there very early, Bethesda was in there very early, but I'm pretty sure EA hasn't done anything of really anything on any kind of scale for VR so far. So this, so beyond just being like a big franchise from a big studio, it's also something of an entrance for EA as well. And this is the kind of publisher support that I think people, I think a lot of people felt that. VR would have to get to a certain size before a company like EA would get involved, before they would put lots of resources behind it. And like publicly in, in, in investicles and stuff, this is exactly what EA's been saying. Like, we'll wait and see. We'll wait till the market's there. I remember they had the Star Wars Battlefront, like X-Wing um, DLC. Oh, yeah. yeah. But um, I, I think they did, they did one or two small things besides that. But... Yeah, they've they've been. I mean, it hasn't been like conspicuously absent because so many of the big publishers have been absent. But yeah, it is it is interesting to see them jumping on now when it feels like um, when it feels like that. Hey, VR is the next big thing. Hockey stick curve isn't <laughs> that that perception isn't there the way it was a few years ago. And if anything, now the perception is sort of like well. Is it deflated? Is there is there a there there? Yeah, but I think actually like the quest seems to have given some what seems like a real kind of sustainable level of excitement around VR, like the right level of excitement, you know, where the the early boom of interest and the kind of the collapse of interest and all of the horror stories and companies going under, that's all subsided a little bit. Quest came out, people were genuinely really surprised and impressed by what it offered. It was at a price point that wasn't like ludicrously unaffordable. I'm looking at you here, Valve. Um, and then, and then now you've got a show of, you know, a decent show of publisher support from a publisher that never really put this kind of level of resources and commitment behind VR before. And you know, I'm here for it to be honest. I'm, I'm. I mean, we'll talk about another system I might be buying later on, but I'm really genuinely interested in buying a Quest now. That that's the kind of VR that I'm looking for. I don't don't want to set things up in my front room. I just want to put something on my head and get going. And I don't think that I particularly care about whether it's like the highest possible fidelity as well. I mean, the, the one thing that did interest me that came out of Oculus Connect was, I think uh, Mark Zuckerberg gave the figure, but was it $100 million in software revenue or something? Was that, is that the figure? Yeah. $100 million through the Oculus. Yeah, that's not very much. I'll say that. That's not no. very much. Well, that's that's lifetime to date over yeah. what four or five yeah. years now, and twenty yeah. percent yeah. of that, twenty percent of that has been the Quest, which came out in yeah. May, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's so meaningful. That's yeah. that's a little bit better, and it kind of 
I mean, it might say more about the last few years on mm-hmm. on Rift more than yeah. than the Quest, but still. I do think that this is going to end up. I I was I was a little bit mean to Valve earlier. I do think this is going to end up being good for the higher fidelity, more expensive headsets as well. Because my my big issue, I, I wrote about it right after the index came out, is that they've got this really cool tech, like this finger tracking tech and stuff. But the headset is so expensive that it's going to be really hard for people to develop games spe- or experiences specifically with that tech in mind because it's just not mm-hmm. going to be feasible on any other controller setup. Well, now that Quest has Kind of a, it's kind of a similar thing. I mean, it doesn't have the haptic feedback because you're not holding a controller. It doesn't have the pressure sensing and things like that. So it's a little bit different. But now that there's something similar out there that's at a lower price point, it's more feasible for developers to make things for it. And so I think ultimately this is going to end up elevating the index as well. And anyone else who decides to make a higher fidelity fidelity headset that goes along that route. And so hopefully, like, I mean, it was, it's always been kind of a chicken and egg problem, right? Like you were talking about it earlier, Matt. Like, what what do we need? Do we need more games? Do we need better fidelity? Do we need cheaper hardware? What do we need? And I think I think Quest tentatively may have cracked it. I hope because I it's cool tech and I want it to su- succeed. Um, but I hope that that only elevates everything else. And then you know, here in a couple of years or so, we end up with, you know, a $400 headset, just like the Quest that has really, really nice high fidelity games on it. Yeah, well, it, sound, it sounds like it could do. I remember seeing a talk years ago now when Chet Falashek was still uh, uh, at Valve. And, and a while back then, you know, Valve was only, was mainly associated with the, with the Vive, which was the, the most, you know, technically sophisticated headset out there. His talk was all about actually... Um, I think it was Gear VR in one of its iterations got like a little, a couple of like hand controllers, which meant that you could do sort of very rudimentary hand tracking, like six degrees of freedom or whatever it was called then, which kind of was a, was a sort of a crude version of what, what could be done on Rift and what could be done on Vive. And he said, this is kind of what you really need. What you really need is for every one of the big headsets to be able to do the same basic stuff. Now, you know, some headsets can do things to higher fidelity or to greater amount of precision. But if you can do all of the basic things, and he did break it down where it was like this, two, three, three main kind of areas where everybody had to hit. And once you've got that, you've got a market that developers can feel a bit more comfortable in. So with hand tracking on, I think you're right, Rebecca, with hand tracking on Quest, that's a that's a that's a version of what can be done on the higher on the higher level headsets, and now everybody's on the same playing field again. I think that gives that gives developers more confidence. And if we're looking at you know twenty percent of all of the money being earned through the Oculus Store arriving in the last whatever it is six months, it does suggest that the Quest has turned the market in a more positive direction. It's been going. It's created a bit bit more a bit, a bit healthier a software market, and perhaps some more developers can kind of begin again or like come away from the enterprise stuff they've been doing doing to, just to make ends meet and, and return to game development again. So um, I, I think the reason why I felt like I wasn't sure if there was something to talk about with Oculus Connect is because, you know, there, there's a bit, you know, there's the, there's the link so you can use your Quest as a Rift and there's all these little bits and pieces. But actually the thing I'd like to know the most is how many Quests there are in the world. I and know, that's the big the question, isn't it? Yeah, but the perception is that like it's done well, and we're all sitting here thinking the quest seems to have done really well. But like, if it's done well, like how well, and what size is the market now, and all of that stuff, which is we're so far after kind of like the birth of VR now and all that. Like, it'd be really be nice to know how big a market there actually is for this stuff, um, and that's still being kept in the dark. So it's, it's it's an odd it's an odd kind of little vacuum of information we exist in. 
it's done well in the sense that all the big tech sites have written very positively about it and continue to write yeah. very positively about it. And that uh, Facebook and Oculus seem to think it's a good idea to add a free update with some cool new tech, but it's, you know, not, it's obviously not doing well enough that we're seeing people out in the street playing with their Oculus Quest as we, as we <laughs> stroll down the way we might see someone playing Pokemon Go or even maybe playing a switch like on the bus or something. Yeah, it, w- it would be a danger to their personal safety to have their headset <laughs> on and be wandering around outside. Though, so let's hope they don't. They don't marketed it as something you could just go out to the park and play. I mean, I don't yeah, no, it's true. It's true. But I could, I could re- reference another talk that I saw, um, I think maybe even at the same conference where people were like, no one's ever going to get past that social embarrassment level of wearing VR in public. Like that's, that's not no. a thing that's ever going to happen. You know, we'll all be wearing AR glasses long before that <laughs> becomes an issue to solve. It's probably true. Nintendo is throwing mobile spaghetti at the wall again uh, to see what sticks with Mario Kart Tour. Uh, it was launched earlier this week. It's a free-to-play game with microtransactions. Got a kind of wild and I think maybe record-breaking 20 million downloads on its first day. Uh, saw 1 million in player spending. That's Sensor Tower's numbers. Uh, it's well below Fire Emblem Heroes' day one spending, but it's still not bad. Um, and that spending doesn't include paying money for an optional $4.99 a month subscription that's in this game uh, that lets you get like special carts and racers and things, uh, as well as the fastest racing category. Uh, they're doing a two-week free, free trial of that, so we'll have numbers on that here in like a month or so. Um, anyone in here planning on spending the cost of an Apple Arcade subscription to go really fast in Mario Kart? Um, okay. I don't know. The, the, C, the CEO of Nintendo might be expecting us to do that. I don't don't know how many people in the real world are actually going to bother. But um, has anyone played it yet? Yeah, I, I played a. Um, I, I gave it a quick try, and it it works fairly well. Like just as far as a translation of a Mario Kart experience to mobile, like yeah, that's kind of a fun game. Um, I didn't poke around with the monetization or, or anything like that, uh, but the the comparison to Apple Arcade is one that I've heard a bunch, and it kind of uh, it doesn't it doesn't really work for me, just because <laughs> like there are so many mobile titles out there with essentially a subscription. You know, with with a or a battle pass or whatever, and there's five dollars or it's ten dollars a month, and you get all the bonus stuff. And and like, no one looks at that and says is horrified about my gosh, I could subscribe to Netflix for that. I could subscribe to Apple Arcade, whatever. And it's it's kind of weird, I guess, maybe just because of the timing of this coming so so soon after Apple Arcade and Nintendo not really having done something like this before that everyone has really seized on that, that comparison. Cause it's like, this is the standard in, in the industry now. How, how many games charge competitive games like this sort of just charge regular amounts of money to people for this. And we're, we're comparing it now to Apple Arcade for some reason, which is I mean... a, a new model. And is it's, it sounds like, right now a a compelling proposition for consumers that's the new thing that's the weird outlier it's not nintendo's subscription for for a mobile game 
No, I know. And so I, I, I'm not horrified by this. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Plenty of other games do this. I definitely think there's, there's something to criticize here in what you're getting for what you're paying. Um, I mean, again, I haven't, I haven't looked at the subscription either, like specifically to see what you're getting, but I like Fortnite, Fortnite has a battle pass and it's like X amount of money for a full season. Right. And you get, you get all this stuff and you get these like objectives to complete to get all this other stuff. And there, there does seem to genuinely be like a value there, but this is, this is just really weird. I, I think it's interesting because Nintendo, Nintendo has really not quite figured out what it wants to be on mobile. It has tried various different monetization models. This is another experiment. And this just, I, I don't know, maybe I'm too, too cynical on mobile, but this seems deeply unappealing to me. There are a lot of things that I think are worth $5 a month. I think Apple Arcade, if it was on my Android phone, uh, would be something that I would want to pay $5 a month for. Um, I think there are various games, like, I mean, I, I pay $15 a month for World of Warcraft, and I spend enough time and energy in that game that I think it's worth it. But just kind of looking, like, Nintendo just seems to be kind of vaguely... I, I don't, I mean, I don't think they're, I don't think they're stupid. I don't think they're just walking around like running into walls or anything, but I do think they have like kind of this weird idea of what people will pay for on mobile and they haven't, they, they don't seem to be like aware of what that is. Like they had a really good thing going with Fire Emblem Heroes and their gacha system. And that seems to be going well for them. But then they have like Super Mario run that didn't work. Pocket Camp really didn't work. That aggressive monetization has turned a lot of people off and then now we've got the subscription i would just be really really surprised if a lot of people went in on this so i think that's right because for me it's more it's less it's you know I, i'm with you brendan in that i i think it's it's kind of like an arbitrary thing to allow you know a pc game to charge people five pounds a month but not a mobile game that, that's not that's not really a kind of a standard that should that, I, that i'm with the problem is but i'm also with you rebecca for me it's more i question it because i feel like it's just evidence that Nintendo doesn't really know what it's doing at the moment. Like I, the, when I first heard that it had this subscription, this subscription model within the, the larger business, I thought, really? Like, why? And why does it have to be there? And what could possibly be the benefit of a subscription model when you've also got microtransactions? And it just seemed like another example of Nintendo, as you say, not really knowing exactly what it's supposed to be doing on mobile. And that perception of a lack of expertise, I think, invites a comparison to something like apple arcade it invites people to kind of find a way to tear it down because i feel like generally speaking like no other area of its business people just don't really seem to have a lot of faith at least on the industry side just don't seem to have a lot of faith in nintendo on mobile and, and the decisions that it's making and i do find it odd that there is a subscription aspect to mario kart i'm not saying it can't justify it but i think did Brendan, for you, did, did did it not raise an eyebrow when you when you heard it was there? Um, this no. is right up the alley of things that you are normally upset about, Brendan. Come on. <laughs> well, I'm just resigned to it at this point. Uh, <laughs> like like this, I, I look at this and and you know it's it's mostly speculation here, but I think it's just evidence of sort of the the friction in the collaboration between Nintendo and Delta DNA on, on mobile titles. Cause, yes. cause they're still involved in all of it. Right. Oh, did they work and, on this one too? Yeah. I think so. Nintendo is, is just like 
they know how to make games fun and charming and things like that. And Delta DNA knows how to be a mobile game publisher. And and all of these experiments outside of Super Mario Run seem to me to be, you know, like uh, kind of awkward ways to try and combine uh, what we know works in mobile games right now with what we know works about Nintendo games. And I think one of the problems that they're kind of running into is that so much of what works about Nintendo games is how charming they are. And I think one of the things about mobile is that aggressive monetization is not charming. And so it's sort of a, it's, it's not a good match. So like instead of Nintendo finding the Nintendo way to do mobile games, like the way that they've found their own way to do online gaming or, you know, friend lists or voice chat in Splatoon. Um, like they do that all the time where they do their own twist on, on stuff after other people have made standards. And it's usually like, Oh, that's a little janky. Doesn't, doesn't quite work the way we'd like, but it's true to Nintendo. And with their mobile efforts I, I, outside of Super Mario Run, I haven't really gotten that sense that, like, yeah, this is a Nintendo way to 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 handle this. It, it's like it's like, and and on like a, a more um, simplified and probably not accurate way, it feels like Delta DNA is the Grima worm tongue behind Nintendo, <laughs> oh, wow. whispering in their ear how to do everything. I should interject. I think it's just DNA, isn't it? Not Delta. Delta DNA is a different company. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's right. Wow! I just, I just put my foot in my mouth repeatedly. Uh, Hayden's going to enjoy editing Delta. (laughs) The Delta out each one of those uh, those No, no, that's a that's a verifiable brain fart, and you can leave that in. So, like everyone (laughs) that has just spent the last five minutes getting increasingly infuriated (laughs) with me. Can now get this this uh, you know release this this catharsis of like wow he is just humiliated. If anyone from Delta <laughs> DNA is listening right now, we're very very sorry for Brendan. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> weirdly, like with this with Mario Kart, although it's probably my my favorite of all the IP Nintendo has put on. I mean, I, just as an IP, I love Mario Kart game more so than I love the Fire Emblem game or whatever. It's actually probably the one that I'm least that kind of game is one that I'm least interested in playing on a mobile phone. Um, so I'm not sure exactly. Uh, we, we did publish an article not, not too long, maybe a few months ago now, about the kind of the challenge of making Mario Kart work on mobile and the kind of um, monetization systems that are very common among car racing games, um, kart racing games, and just racing games in general on mobile. And generally speaking, racing games on mobile are either kind of the very free-to-play energy energy level you know that kind of choked that choked monetization system or they're just premium and there really isn't much of an in-between um there and i and i do wonder if if this you know the the subscription services is is evidence of the fact that nintendo has this this ip that should do incredibly well for it it's actually quite difficult to figure out how to to make money from it on mobile without without completely corrupting the experience so we're largely speaking from not we're largely speaking from not actually having played the thing to any great extent. So it is very difficult to comment on the quality of the experience, but I haven't seen anyone raving about it exactly either. 
I am always very hesitant to make predictions, but I definitely looking at this, I think we're going to see another case kind of like Super Mario Run um, here a couple months down the road where it's going to be a game that has really, really high downloads uh, over its lifetime and really, really low uh, mo- revenue comparatively. Mm-hmm. Um, it's apparently, so it had really, really high, like, I, again, I, I, I would need to verify this, but I'm pretty sure it broke records with its day one downloads, like over 20 million is really, really high. Um, it definitely broke records for a Nintendo game on mobile. Um, but a lot of that was because if you hit pre pre-order or like preload or whatever on iOS, it just automatically downloaded for you while you were sleeping and you woke up and you had it on your phone. Um, normally, I mean, I have an Android. Normally when I do something like that, it just notifies me when the game is out and then I can decide to go get it or not. But there, there was that. Um, but there, there are other barriers too. Like you have to have a Nintendo account to play this game. Like it will not let you do anything if you don't actually go through the process of signing up for a Nintendo account. And a lot of people are going to have one already because they have a Switch or they had a 3DS or whatever. But that's still, I mean, that's still a barrier. You have, to, I, I think Brendan was upset about some Doom game or something because for a while it required you to have a Bethesda account. And that's, that's a very obnoxious barrier especially for a mobile game like i don't want to open a mobile game and be prompted to make a dang account so yeah i think i think we're gonna see probably a lot of downloads and maybe not so much revenue that's my like maybe possibly uneducated opinion about this game and i i really wonder when nintendo is going to figure out that they should probably just do more games like fire emblem heroes i would yeah i would probably put i i mean i'm i'm shameless i would probably i'm not, I'm not big into fire emblem but i would probably put like money into a game to unlock like more animal crossing villagers even though Pocket Camp didn't work for me, like in a similar gacha system to Fire Emblem Heroes. Just saying, Nintendo, they're real cute. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I just don't know if Nintendo can keep on, you know, spending its big IPs, uh, you know, pushing out its big IPs to, to mobile and just getting it wrong. Like, I, I feel like they're probably going to have to try and figure out how to make Mario Kart work, because at least that the subscription model suggests that this is not a game like Mario Run that can just be played for a bit of time, right? Like that they see this going on and on and on. And there's no reason why Mario Kart shouldn't be effectively a platform for content on mobile, just more added, more added, more added. People keep on playing on and on month after month. There's no reason why it can't be a game like that. That's exactly what Nintendo's investors want to see. And while Nintendo is generally speaking, has been sort of able to to ignore some of its uh, investors, more sort of money-grubbing claims on mobile is starting to run out of excuses i think it's it's difficult when your nintendo and like your most successful mobile game is fire emblem like it shouldn't be really it should be one of the very very big ip and they seem to have kind of misjudged it every single time and i wonder if they have an if, if there's a good enough excuse for mario kart which going into it a lot of analysts felt like this is the one this is the one that nintendo's going to turn into like the billion dollar a year mobile product and if it's if it's a non-starter i wouldn't be surprised if they don't just sort of rejigger the monetization system to something that actually works about nintendo but let's lighten up the conversation um did either of you pick up a switch light <laughs> sorry not not yet not yet no, i'm returning it because of that no brendan no no i didn't i didn't actually pick one okay but, but matt you said before the podcast you said you were thinking about it yeah yeah no i'm i'm definitely thinking i'm more than thinking about it. i think i'm, I'm basically sold on on the thing thing is i've got a trip to north america coming up and 
and you'll get much much better prices on things than we do so even with like the the weakness of my currency versus versus the dollar i still think i'll get a pretty good price on the, on a nintendo switch Lite if i wait until i go like it'll probably be about 30 40 percent off particularly if i buy it in an airport so i might wait but um i but you know what like it's the price point seems very very attractive to me um switch i only ever used as a handheld anyway and it i don't know it seems a bit expensive just for a handheld i feel like nintendo there's been a lot a lot has been made of the fact that it's a switch that can't switch but actually um our colleague mike williams over in us gamer um, he wrote in his review of the device that, you know, this is the Switch that I've been waiting for all along, as it turns out. And I, I think I'm with him. I feel like I don't want a Switch to play on my TV. I want a Switch that's, like, incredibly good at handheld gaming on the go. Um, and and, and if, if I lose all of that additional functionality, it's kind of fine. I'd rather save the 100 bucks. So I think I'm, I'm pretty much their target uh, early adopter. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think there's there's definitely like a discrepancy between how you think of it and how I think of it. And it's exactly what you're saying. So I, I don't have any other consoles. I have my gaming PC so I can play, you know, basically most AAA games that I want to play. But all of my Nintendo stuff is on my Switch. And that is like I, I never play it handheld. I keep it docked. And so I look at the Switch Lite and I'm like, yeah, not for me. Great. And that, mm-hmm. that's fine. But I definitely like, like you're right. There is there is a huge portion of people like a meaningful portion of people out there who either strictly want to play it in handheld mode and have held off or have only played it in handheld mode up to this point for the most part and i nintendo's you know it's it's funny the discrepancy between how they how they deal with mobile and how they are dealing with the switch because they they seem to very well understand i mean it's nintendo like what to do with the switch they had Link's awakening come out on the same day um i know they didn't really plan it but i think i think goose game maybe was at least somewhat mm-hmm. appealing to some people um that was a really good day for house house to launch anyway um and they have a really good lineup like they have pokemon coming up here in what two months like pokemon is the quintessential handheld nintendo system game to carry around with you and that's coming up here soon animal crossing next year i I think chris has mentioned this on the podcast before but nintendo has the switch Lite coming and they also have all these franchises with luigi's mansion coming out with new games in the next several months that have either historically or at least at some point in their lifespans been handheld games on the 3ds or whatever so it's it's very smart it's very clever i i think it's going to work for them and already has been working for them if we're looking at sales numbers so far right were those good uh i don't think they were brilliant i think it did, did well in japan but ah. maybe less so in the uk i mean this is based on what we know but but the, but the other thing to point out and this has been pointed out by both chris and by rob fahi our regular col- columnist it's like this is this is about as good as you should expect from a you know a hardware revision for a handheld device so this isn't it's not a new platform you know and while the switch was very successful it's not been around for very long and like this is but actually it's also kind of slightly different from even from that it's not really it's not a revision of a handheld device the the thing that rob pointed out is that you know nintendo's always been really good at making your second console you know the thing that you get in addition to a sony or to, to an xbox or a playstation but based on the reaction of some people, like it's actually figured out a way to make both your first and your second console. People want the Switch and the Switch Lite as well. Just keep one docked and take the other one with you. Um, my, my, my main concern about it actually was whether or not the, the performance of the thing suffers at all through being smaller and, you know, just, just generally the, the cuts, 
that they've made. But um, even there, I think that, that no one's really reported anything negative. So it just seems like a straight win for me. And it looks like really robust and like you could chuck it about the place. I always used to like that about Nintendo handhelds as well. Like that's switching. Are you throwing your handhelds, Matt? <laughs> I'm not throwing, but I might Do we need to get you a wrist strap? Bag. When I when I get up to go for a drink or whatever, I might throw it onto the couch, you know. But I wouldn't do that with the Switch. I'd place that very delicately. But this one looks <laughs> a bit more hard-wearing. I like it. It's just, this is the thing, what you were saying earlier, Rebecca. Like, a mobile... It's difficult to even know how to talk about Nintendo on mobile anymore. I mean, we've we've talked around the time of Dr. Mario about, like, what is Nintendo doing? And that seems to be the only... Whether you like or dislike any one of their games, there doesn't seem to be any consistency there, no consistency of approach or business model or a sense that they're confident and expert in what they're doing. But then you switch over to the console side, and it's just like this is a great move, and it's so smart. The price is just right, and they've stripped out just the right features, and so on and so on. And they're so expert in one way, and just you know, messing it up on the other. It is just very, very striking to have both of these things happen in the same week. It's like the best and the worst in Nintendo. I am very upset because I just know. I, I mean, I got a Switch, the, the original regular Switch, right at launch. It's a boring kind of black color with some gray Joy-Cons. I have the red and blue Joy-Cons as well. I am very upset because the Switch Lite is cute. And if they do what they did with the 3DS, and I am amazed that they were able to do this with the 3DS for so long. They kept releasing new versions of the 3DS, like year after year, themed on different games that were coming out. Animal Crossing, Pokemon, all these different themed 3DSs. And they they just kept doing them, like up, up until I think maybe even last year, if I remember mm. right. Um, and they, they obviously thought that that was worth the, the energy to set, to create and market. Um, and they kept doing that. And I'm very upset because I have the most boring looking switch in the world and they're going to come up with a really cute animal crossing one next year. You know, they are, there's no way they don't. Um, and it's just going to be adorable and I'm going to want to dump $200 on it, even though I never play switch in handheld mode. Um, but they're, mm. they're going to do it and they're going to sell them. I bet, I bet we see, I, I am very curious as to what the breakdown of uh, switch light sales to regular switch sales is going to be over black friday and christmas yeah that, that will be a big one how about you brendan what's your uh, take on switch light how do you play your switch are you a handheld uh, guy or a dot guy i'd say i'm about 80 percent handheld mm. but i really like having that 20 percent of the time when i put it on the on the big screen and you know play a co-op game with my wife or something that's you know you, you can't share that that handheld game in in the same way. Nintendo thinks you can. <laughs> it's got yeah. a kickstand, Brendan, and you can use the Joy Cons as individual controllers. That's a bit rough. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I, I will say that the Switch Lite having an actual D pad is a big feature for me. That seems super appealing. Um. But, and what you were saying, Rebecca, about like, you know, they're going to release a new hardware revision with like a Animal Crossing paint job and, and oh, you'll just so cute. Ugh. This is this is like my life as an adult gamer, basically, is like <laughs> as soon as I had some discretionary income, I started seeing like, oh, it's that 3DS that has like a Super Nintendo motif to it. I really want that or that the Game Boy Advance SP that had the NES style paint job. And it's like, I already have this hardware and it works perfectly fine, but I want to spend 
150 or 200 bucks on this other paint job of it. And I hate myself for that. <laughs> but Nintendo loves you, and that's it, the main thing. It's, it's just yeah. You are apparently not alone because they keep thing. making these. <laughs> it is the dumbest thing. We are all so dumb. It is spectacular how we just keep, I'd say falling for this, but we're well aware what it is, and we just keep doing it anyways. Well, Nintendo understands this quite well, and I'll, I'll kind of point everybody once again to Rob for his piece today because he he very boldly predicted that, you know, this Christmas Nintendo's going to have both the newest and the cheapest hardware on the market at a time when the other platforms are winding down. And he said he thinks that, you know, 2019 is going to be probably Nintendo's best ever year financially um, off the back of the availability of both the Switch, the Switch Lite, the new Pokemon more games coming and you know i think you'd be a brave person to to disagree with that notion perhaps not the the biggest year ever financially but nintendo is going to clean up with you know animal crossing paint jobs and more besides yeah i'll be i'll be that brave person just because (laughs) the switch as successful as it is i don't i don't think measures up to like the wii and ds at their height um i'd be surprised if it's nintendo's Best year financially, as much as they are, you know, in a in a great position to capitalize before the PlayStation Five or Xbox Two uh, get going. I definitely think that software wise, there aren't as many compelling options this year as normal. I mean, yeah, there's the usual Call of Duty, and again, I think this is something that we've talked about before too. But it's really there really isn't a huge holiday game this year. I guess Death's Stranding? I don't know. I don't know about that. A, sp- a sports I, game? I, I figure that, that game's just going to alienate everybody just as likely. I mean, the thing we do forget, though, is, you know, without without going on to a tangent about games of the year or whatever, but, you know, FIFA is always the big game of the year. You know what I mean? Like, FIFA has always sold 25 million copies. Yeah, by, I mean, that's like still there, Christmas but there's not like a Red Dead Redemption 2 this year. No, there isn't. And I think that Chris, if he were here, would probably say that Luigi's Mansion is going to be a breakout and sell like 15 million. <laughs> But he's not here, so. <laughs> well, I, I'm wondering about like, so there isn't a Red Dead Redemption two this year. But how much does that really benefit Nintendo? I mean, how how many people were sitting there last year saying like, oh wow, Red Dead Redemption two, or I can't remember what Nintendo's big Pokemon. Let's go. Yeah, like, I think so. The, I I think it's one of those those cases where like. These are additive to each other when there's a big AAA PS4 Xbox year. You know, that that boosts the overall pie. Smash 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 was last last year. year. But but I don't think that they are uh, directly competing in such a way that one of them succeeding means the other one fails or one of them not being there at all means the other one gets a huge boost. I mean, sure, people have limited gaming budgets, so there's going to be some you know, some extra sales of Nintendo stuff, but I, I don't I don't know if it's like a, a tremendous advantage for this holiday season specifically. No, I don't I don't I, I, I agree with that. Um I would only add though that, you know, I think that the Switch Lite will appeal to 
consumers that might have been sort of left out a little bit in this console generation because neither, neither PlayStation nor Microsoft have really tried to appeal to broader, more casual audiences in the way they have before. Like neither neither console is down quite as low in terms of price as it, as as they have done in equivalent stages in their life cycles before. The products themselves aren't really sort of family-oriented products. I, I feel like there are big, big groups of consumers who really haven't been appealed to by the games industry in quite a long time now, actually. Um, Nintendo's there and has the opportunity to do so. Um, whether or not 200 bucks is quite low enough, whether or not the, the Switch is quite family-oriented enough to do that right now, it's definitely in a good position to, to do that over the next year or so. I, I've no, I've no doubt in my mind. Switch Lite is in the fullness of time. Let's let's talk about it this time next year, and I think it's going to have been an, an absolutely huge, roaring success. How about Ring Fit Adventure? <laughs> Do not knock Ring Fit Adventure. <laughs> I, I am not. I'm kind of fascinated by it. I, I wonder if Nintendo is just like. Look, gamers, we released Wii Fit. We tried to get you healthy. We it was a hit, but it was a hit with everyone else, not gamers. Here, we're doing RPG mechanics now. Will you finally get off the couch? Please, we are begging you. I've been off the couch. I have taken my switch to so many rooftop wine parties, Brendan. <laughs> I thought it was all only docked mode for you. What the heck? Don't point out my inconsistencies. Well, after you guys after you guys brought up the, the DNA thing, just really. Fine, Come on. fine, fine. That is probably a good place to stop for the day. Uh, you can always go back and listen to previous episodes of this podcast on all good podcasting platforms. Once you're on that good podcasting platform, consider subscribing. Uh, it'll let you know whenever another episode appears. And you can and should get your daily dose of news and insight into the world behind games at gamesindustry.biz. Thanks, everybody.